All right, nothing yet, nothing in yet. Signing day coverage on the Ref Sports Radio Network. An hour two of the Plank Show is brought to you by Allison Insurance. Call Bob and Robert Allison for all of your insurance needs. 405-745-2968. I uh, haven't seen anything official yet. Oh, here we go. Gentry Williams has sent in his letter of intent. So, no real surprise there, Josh. I, this is, can I have a, a kind of a, a cheesy, corny moment here for a moment? It's weird for me because this is a kid that my, my son played like Little League football with. <laughs> and now I'm watching him sign a letter of intent to play at Oklahoma. So, pretty cool, man. Pretty cool moment. Now, granted, he was better than everyone else, and my son did retire uh, after eighth grade. Um, so, there was that. But Gentry Williams, 5'11 DB, four-star prospect, Ranked as one of the top four cornerbacks by ESPN, eighth by rivals, 11th by on three, 16th by 24-7 sports, 52nd overall player by ESPN, a 2022 All-American Bowl invite, 22 total tackles, forced two fumbles, registered three interceptions. And uh, so Booker T. Washington is not in school today. I, so I would assume he's not going to have the signing ceremony. So they just went ahead, sit in the letter of intent. Let's go to work. I like it. I like it a lot. Your thoughts on Gentry Williams locked in for 2022? I think it's huge, gigantic for Oklahoma that they were able to keep Gentry Williams in this class. Obviously, Booker T kid, so local talent and – Terrific, terrific defensive back. I don't – I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't necessarily have to stay at defensive back at Oklahoma. I know that's the plan, but to me, when you can run and move the way that he does, if ever he had to make a switch to wide receiver, that could be a possibility in his future at Oklahoma. When you have somebody that athletic from the state of Oklahoma, you got to get him signed to OU, and the Sooners have – Done that here with Gentry Williams, though. They had some late competition, man. I mean, there there was uh, some serious chargers from other places, and Oklahoma was able to hold that off. So, great news for Oklahoma today. Among those were USC, who came in late, and there was some Jackson State buzz that Deion Sanders wanted to try to bring him to um, – that Deion Sanders was going to try to bring him to Jackson State. I don't know – how much was there? But anytime you start hearing that, even though, I mean, let's be honest, Oklahoma's history and facilities run laps around Jackson State. Deion Sanders just grabbed the number one prospect in the country in the last signing period. There's some buzz building that today Jackson State could have another splash. So I won't lie to you, dude. You know, because Deion's been talking a lot of gas, right? And and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. Deion Sanders has been telling everyone that'll listen, we're going to make a major splash on signing day. Uh, and everyone's you know, kind of like, wait, what? So there was some nerves, some concern uh, for me, because you never know what if that splash is 
say, someone like a Gentry Williams. But I, I tend to think it might be more of a, a Harold Perkins or a Shamar Stewart. Still, though, I I get an exhale now that seeing Gentry's letter of intent is in. But I also can't help but wonder now, okay, what's 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 Dion's big splash that he's trying to make here? What what would be the other options? Don't know. Don't know. Unless there's been rumors. Um, like, for instance, A&M's got a guy that they have committed for 23 that is talking about reclassifying in the 22 class. So maybe there's a big dog in 23 that Deion Sanders – has either convinced or has decided to reclassify. And, again, I'm not going to pretend like I truly understand that process, but it seemed as if the guys in the Cover 3 podcast thought it might be a name like Harold Perkins. And, you know, Harold Perkins could end up being the difference, along with Shamar Stewart, between Texas A&M having the number one, number one overall class and Jackson State obviously making another splash here. Mario Cristobal is in on both guys late, too. Yeah, here it is on on Perkins. Don't count out Jackson State, which has been getting plenty of buzz with Perkins, who spent most of the Polynesian Bowl week with the other two Jackson State signees and Travis Hunter and Kevin Coleman. Interesting. Crazy that uh, they've been able to do that at Jackson State. Dion, man. Dion. All right, um, anything else you want to add on what you've seen so far before we get to this conversation about kind of where uh, Brent Venables and his staff have truly excelled in, in rebuilding this roster or maintaining this roster? I think Gentry Williams, just another – you think back to Bob Stoops in the interim and then, you know, all of the assistant coaches, Cale Gundy, Biedenboe, DeMarco Murray, everybody, the, the staff that was able to retain this class into Brent Venables taking over and being able to – get Gentry Williams recommitted to signing with the University of Oklahoma. I mean, I just think it's a another piece of that puzzle in this 2022 class, something we're going to reflect on and talk about for a long time that, hey, this 2022 group is special in a lot of ways because it was a class that could have come apart at the seams. Gentry Williams, it, it looked like at times maybe he was going to be a defection from this class, and ultimately he's not. He's a part of it, so – just great news for Oklahoma. Hey, it's a hell of a save, right? I mean, you you, you can sit here and that uh, – what did what did Bruce Feldman describe it as? That swath of, of Oklahoma players that are going to end up at USC, and so far it's Mario Williams and Latrell McCutcheon, you know? Or are all these decommits that are going to anchor this program, that is, how did Mac Engle put it, uh, going to be to the SEC when Nebraska is to the Big Ten, you know? You can say all that you want, but in the end, we'll find out on the field, but in the end, they have done an amazing job, an amazing job of keeping these classes together. So, with that in mind, I'm not a big, and I'm trying to be better at it. Like, my, my podcasts are always murder mysteries and <laughs> things of that nature, crime podcasts. So, at uh, 1010 here on the Plank Show, I'm trying to get better at really immersing myself in the college football talk, right? I'm, I'm not a – sometimes – I say this a lot. A lot of the college football guys are nerds. So i just like, I don't need your jokes about Dungeons and Dragons. I, I want college football talk. Or I don't need your yeah, – you were, you were cooler than everyone because you drank a beer in college. I, I want some college football talk. So with that in mind, Bud Elliott 
was on yesterday on the Cover 3 podcast, which, again, of all the podcasts and maybe I listen to the most, it, that's probably it. And Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell were kind of going back and forth with Bud Elliott on signing day. And Bud Elliott, what, three-year letterman, had the blue, what was it, the blue chip ratio that he created. And they asked him, and Josh, I want you to think about this, because it's kind of long. It's about two minutes long. They asked him who, in his opinion, have have really kind of knocked it out of the park with this signing class as new coaches. And it, it, here's what he said. So a, a couple of staffs have, have gone about this in, in different ways. Uh, from the high school ranks, the, the one that I would really point to the best, uh, they already had a great head start when their coach left. But it is to their credit to Brent Venables and, and Jeff Levy and their whole recruiting staff that they were able to keep this thing together. Now, it's not a top five class, uh, but Oklahoma still has a top 10 class in the recruiting ranks. They, they kept a lot of these good guys in the fold, and they – it was not all, hey, it was Lincoln Riley and not Norman. Now, granted, I don't think that Norman's necessarily like a destination city, uh, but they were able to sell the history and tradition of that program really quite well to where Oklahoma is still 10th in the country. Uh, and I believe they're, what, 8th in the portal or 8th in the overall, which means they've also done a decent job uh, in the recruiting or on, on the portal side of things. Excuse me. Uh, so that, that would, on the high school side, would be the one that I would point to the most. LSU's done a decent job on the high school side, but they already had a, a pretty solid start. Keeping quarterback Walker Howard in the fold uh, was probably the number one priority for Brian Kelly and his staff. And of course, uh, if you guys recall, Walker Howard, the only real school that, that people thought he might flip to was Notre Dame when Brian Kelly was there. So when Brian Kelly went to LSU, that was, that was probably a wrap, right? Um, now, the one thing I point out here is that the guys hired in 18 – and 19 really we're at a bit of a disadvantage with the combination of the early signing period and also 20. Okay. I, I want to pause right there because this opens up a whole fascinating conversation that again, I don't want to lose sight of what he said on the front end of it to get into what's a great point about how first year coaches were so challenged, Josh, and how maybe to a certain degree, with the transfer portal, this group of coaches get a little bit more of a jump start. Okay, uh, so let's go. Do you agree with him on that front? I, I I bite back on one. When you say, oh, they had a great head start with the previous staff, they're not wrong, but that was also not necessarily – that was sold to them that Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley. I mean, that, that whole mindset of, oh, they had a great head start. Sure, they did. But then you had to fight like crazy to keep them in the loop. So I don't know if that's necessarily an incredible benefit, but I do think they're dead on in the job that they've sold the tradition and history of Oklahoma. Well, you get to the point of late November, beginning of December. I mean, that's several weeks out from signing day. You're pretty far. Right. I mean, you're – very well into the process, very far along into the process. It also, though, sets you up for it's so late in the process and signing days so quick that it sets you up for a mass exodus, too. 
and, and for Correct. guys to be lost and, and signed elsewhere immediately just uh, in the blink of an eye. So that was on the table. That was an option for Oklahoma. I don't necessarily disagree that Lincoln Riley and the assistants in the previous staff uh, did a did a great job for Oklahoma in terms sure. of a head start, but really for Oklahoma with this 22 class, it, it was the work of Bob Stoops going out on the recruiting trail that, that week or that week plus or so with the assistant coaches, uh, visiting the Robert Spears Jennings and on and on and on of the world, all the different recruiting stops they made to assure this class, hey, it, it, it's going to be okay. You our Oklahoma football. It's the players. It's not me, Bob Stoops. It's not Lincoln Riley. It's not the next head coach, whoever that may be. Oh, by the way, it's Brent Venables. Right. It's the players that have had have made this thing go over the years. And that was not just some slight undertaking. I mean, that was a grand undertaking from Bob Stoops, from Cale Gundy, from Coach Biedenboe, from DeMarco Murray, from some guys that aren't here at Oklahoma any longer. It yeah, was there a large large portion of work already in the books and done? Sure there was. But, uh, I mean, I would – to me, I'd give the lion's share of the credit at Oklahoma to the guys that went out that week uh, right there for OU and then preach. obviously afterwards. Preach. Absolutely, positively preach. Now, I, I do want to – so – can we pause and jump back into the difference the portal has made and how maybe it's been a major beneficiary for these first-year coaches? Because I think the next part of this conversation is really, really good. It's not necessarily OU-centric, but in, in the terms of college football and how maybe first-year coaches taking over in 2022 – might have a little bit more of a leg up than those in 2016, 17, and 18. But I do think it's a fascinating conversation. And I think it's incredibly reassuring to circle back to the OU conversation to see guys like Bud Elliott who live, eat, and breathe recruiting basically come out and say, hey, of the approaches that they've dug and that have really impressed them, seeing what Oklahoma has done in the, on the high school ranks, is big time. It is 10-17. We have one letter of intent in today. It's Gentry Williams. Booker T. Washington standout. School's out the rest of the week at Booker T. So he, uh, I'm, I'm sh- assuming, will have a ceremony next week to celebrate his commitment and his signing with Oklahoma. We are waiting on, I guess, the next – Announcement will be a mod mode, and that is coming up at 1.30 this afternoon. And it will be Miami. Oh, officially now, you think? Yeah, I mean, just about every prediction you look at has flipped to Miami. Okay, so a mod mode will be on his way to Miami, so that looks like we can cross him off then. But 30 minutes later, R. Mason Thomas, his high school teammate, will announce that he is signing with Oklahoma. We think that's at 2 o'clock. Then at 3.30 when Gentry was supposed to have his presser, obviously that's changed. He's in 4 o'clock for Devin Campbell and 4.30 for Grayson Halton. We'll keep you updated all day long right here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Sports Radio Network. All right, so seven names, one uh, already in. 
in Gentry Williams. I wanted to call him Trent Williams for a moment. Sorry. Uh, you mentioned that Gavin Freeman is pushed back a little bit, Josh, because they're out of school at Heritage Hall, right? Yeah, it's going to be a week from today for Gavin Freeman. And he's a preferred walk-on. So uh, Gentry signed his letter of intent. The punter uh, has signed his letter of intent, uh, though it hasn't been officially announced by Oklahoma yet. So those are three that we had counted on. Now we'll wait for the first announcement scheduled from Ahmad Moten. And as it stands right now, doesn't look like it's going to be good news for the Sooners. Most recently, Crystal Bald to Miami for Ahmad Moten. So we'll keep tabs on that. During – oh, what's up, Parker? Locked in? Locked in with McComas and That's, Thune. It's become one of my I, – I love listening to them. Um, so I'm sorry I, I didn't – I just call it the Parker and Tyler show. But um, we are expecting when they hit the air at 2 to have an announcement from R. Mason Thomas. Now, uh, just to follow up on this, do you worry at all with R. Mason Thomas, Josh, considering that his high school teammate – Looks like he's going to Miami. Yeah, sure. Uh, both Cardinal Gibbons High School, go Chiefs, by the way. <laughs> Teammates there. So when one one player like Ahmad Moten looks as locked into Miami, is there is there a late recruitment from your teammate that can convince you, hey, why don't we just why don't we just explore the future here at Miami together. Let's make this signing the both of us uh, together. But, you know, they're not announcing at the same time, which to me would also indicate, okay, hey, they have different decisions, not just that they both want the, their own their own moment, right? It sort of indicates right. to me that, okay, hey, they're, they're teammates from the same school – it would be easy if you're signing with the same school to announce at the same time and do a joint announcement. The fact that that's not happening makes me feel like R. Mason Thomas is going to sign with Oklahoma. By the way, uh, Josh McQuistion just updated this. So, boy, his, his time that he got on R. Mason Thomas is much different than the one that they had online. But Josh would know. So, here is what McQuistion said just to update all the times. Um, Gentry Williams in, so that's good. Um, Jamari and Burton White couldn't find anything. Looks like he's Thursday. Grayson Halton will announce on CBS Sports at 420, like we said. Cavante Henry looks like it's probably going to be at 1 today, but they don't know. Um, Moten, so I must have had uh, Eastern and Central times missed up. Moten at 12.30, R. Mason Thomas as well at 12.30. So that'll be coming up, excuse me, real quick here. I apologize. I either got my time zones messed up or I completely read it wrong. But Devin Campbell at four. I will say I'm a little bit frustrated in that with some of these guys, um, they don't, that have already announced, they haven't kind of kept it up to date on CBSSports.com. Caden Story is um, about to announce here in moments, so we'll wait on that. He's been a hard commit to Clemson. No, we'll, we'll, we'll wait throughout the afternoon. Uh, and they've got it covered for you right here. Well, we've got it covered for you right here on The Ref for all things OU-related. And if you want to dig a little bit deeper on the national side of things, 
uh, Rival, CBS Sports, uh, OU Insider, they all have you covered. So it looks like 12.30 for Amon Moten and R. Mason Thomas is what's coming up next for Sooner fans. Thank you, Josh Helmer. All right. Are you, uh, are you ready to hear the other half of this on the portal? Or, or is it meh as far as you're concerned? No, yeah, let's let's talk about the the portal here. Let's hear what these folks have to say. All right, listen, this is from the Cover 3 podcast, Bud Elliott. I thought this was really, really good. The one thing I point out here is that the guys hired in 18 and 19 really were at a bit of a disadvantage with the combination of the early signing period and also 20. The combination of the early signing period, but without the instant eligibility of the portal. So they had to go and they had to take large high school recruiting classes. And because you couldn't go out and get a bunch of portal kids, they would have to sit. The last two classes, so the one that's going to sign Wednesday and the one that signed last year, I think you saw coaches begin to really wise up on this, or wise up's the wrong term. Take advantage of the new rules of the portal. If I'm a new high school guy, or if if I'm a new head coach, I'm not taking more than like, I don't know, 12, 14 high schoolers at that. Give me a bunch of transfers who I know can play at that level, who I don't have to build all these relationships with. And then the next year, I'll follow it up, and I'll go and sell playing time. And, hey, man, we didn't take very many high schoolers last year. We just got here. We didn't want to just throw out scholarships and make, quote-unquote, four-year mistakes on guys that we didn't know. Uh, I think you're seeing that a lot this year. I mean, look at the split. LSU 18th in recruiting, 9th in the overall. Miami 38th in recruiting, 25th in the overall. You know, Florida 26th and 18 on that split. So – they're not using a whole lot of spots on high schoolers who, again, when you have 85% of your kids signing in the early period, some of the kids who wait do so because they have leverage or because they were discovered late. Some of these kids, though, are available for a bad reason, which we've talked about. Competitive temperament, character, family issues, mental health issues, whatever it is, um, academics. I think it's smart not to load up on that kind of stuff in your first year when you only have a couple of weeks before the ESP to put your class together. I, there, there's more to this, but I thought that was interesting because, you know, we, we always, and I think we kind of had this conversation a little bit yesterday, Josh, right? You see a guy that's in the portal and he comes to your school and you're like, Oh my gosh, look where he was. And you're on cloud nine, but then you're like, well, maybe it's more than just a playing time reason. Maybe he can't stay healthy. Maybe he's a bad kid. Right. And, and I, I hate to say that because I don't want to write off anyone, but that's kind of the reality of it, right? You just – you don't know. And I I dig that point that you look at well, – there's two vastly different approaches, right, in what Oklahoma is doing and staying committed to that holistic approach. And, yes, there's a lot of portal dudes that are coming in, right? They've remade the back end of their secondary with portal guys. But then in the same vein, they've also recruited kind of that next level of dudes that we could see there. Not a lot of safeties, or at least we don't think, but you're going to be able, Brent Venables, to go out in that next cycle in recruiting, and he's doing it now for these stud back-end guys. And he's like, listen, I brought dudes in on the portal, but you could come in and play here. So to me, Oklahoma, while loading up on, on high school kids, I'd be fascinated to get a true recruiting guru. Maybe we'll see if Bud Elliott can come on after signing day madness. But it's almost as if, yeah, you've seen LSU with its split. Oklahoma's split is different because you've seen more high school guys. But it's almost as if it's been kind of selective in the areas where they've gone with with portal players, right? 
You get your quarterback. You get some back-end guys in the second. You get some of your offensive linemen. But for the most part, that's really – and tight end, right? That's really been it in the positions. You don't see a bunch of D linemen coming in from the portal. You haven't. You, you see the kid, Laula, the Hawaii kid. That's really what about it. You don't – oh, Josh Johnson. I apologize. Josh Johnson out of Tulane. You don't see backers. I mean, T.D. Roof came in, but his dad's here. So I just think it's kind of fascinating to see how – that's a great point on LSU, but it seems to be a little bit more selective in how it's gone about for Oklahoma, right? Yeah, and you're going through a coaching change at, sure. at both places. And for Oklahoma, there, there's been quite a few defections out from Oklahoma in, in the transfer portal. So you're, you're plugging roster spots with the, the transfer portal. You're addressing areas where you feel – you need to beef up the roster a little bit in terms of the depth that you have at some different positions. I think without following LSU recruiting day in and day out and year after year, I don't know that really anybody in the SEC or the Big Ten, Power Five type football, I don't think that it's feasible to think that you're going to now all of a sudden recruit, say, 60% of your roster is going to be high school kids and the other 40% is going to be players that you pick up out of the transfer portal. The players that Oklahoma has gotten, a lot of them out of the transfer portal, you're talking about McCade Metallier. Okay, well, that's a Power 5 guy from Cal. Jeffrey Johnson from Tulane. Laula's uh, from Hawaii. And, you know, elsewhere, I mean, it's not as though Oklahoma's just gone out and plucked players across the board from Alabama and Georgia and, you know, Ohio State and Michigan or whoever. I think it's unrealistic to think that you're going to be playing for and winning national championships if you're getting, say, 40% or whatever of your roster out of the transfer portal. I still think the lifeblood has to be the high school recruiting side. But, sure, there can be some guys out of the transfer portal that can help you and help you a lot. We've seen that at Oklahoma already. I think Keith Lawrence is a player that's going to be a big, big factor and potentially a star player in the secondary for Oklahoma out of the transfer portal. And that's somebody, again, that comes over from Tennessee originally. But to think that you're going to be starting, say, 10 guys out of your 22 from the transfer portal – and you're going to be playing for and winning championships, I think is unrealistic. Agreed. Agreed. All right, um, 1034. Want to get in here? Love to hear from you. 405-329-9000. I don't know um, how in-depth. I thought it was kind of a cool conversation that I heard last night. I thought, we got to bring this to the air today. We have a little room. We're waiting on letters of intent to come in. Steely and Thune are going to be all over it from noon to 2. Parker and Tyler from 2 to 3. Josh is in for Teddy today from 3 to 6. We uh, – make sure I got this right, so I got all my time zones. We're expecting our next news to come at about 12.30 today with R. Mason Thomas. The concern over Amon Moten is that he's on his way to Miami, so we'll dive into it all next. Right here on the Home of Sooner Fans. The ref. Top five stories of the day coming up at 11 a.m. this morning to kick off your lunch hour with Josh Helmer. I'm Chris Plank on the ref. We call this the Plank Show, and we take your calls at 405-329-9000, 405-329-9000.
What is going on, True Sooner? How are you, man? I will say, since I was criticizing Josh's music the other day, I've got to give him kudos today because he's coming back like a, you know, it's it's just it's as bad as it was the other day. It's just as good today. Challenged him. You challenged him, and he stepped up in a big way. I mean, you can't go wrong with Jimi Hendrix. I mean, you know. So, hey, you know, you're alluding to the fact your son is 18, and and he's you know you're seeing these guys sign letters of intent that are basically his age. How, how about this one? How about Josh Giddy being a year older than your son? Isn't that crazy? And and what's funny about it is I stood next to Josh Giddy. Well, obviously he's an NBA player, so he's much taller. But when I stood next to him, I felt like I was talking to a dude that was like 20 years older than me, just in kind of his how he handled himself. So yeah, it's he's pretty he's pretty mature. Yeah. Pretty pretty mature, sharp kid. I think the Thunder are in good hands. So I'm I'm happy with. What do you let me let me ask you this about? Okay, so we all know these coaches aren't they're not shy about playing freshmen. You know, it's not like very Switzer days where you every freshman got redshirted or whatever for the most part. But my question is. This Nick Evers, I mean, are we just totally blowing past the fact that he might come in and win this job? I mean, is that just – do we just think there's no chance of that happening? I would say this year, yes. Now, I don't want to ever say never, but my understanding, True, is that he even came in with the idea that he wanted to – he wanted to to redshirt. He wanted to learn. He wanted to become okay. more well-rounded as a player and physically and mentally. So my understanding all along is that that, that had kind of been what Nick Evers wanted to do. And, okay. you know, just looking at it from will there be a competition standpoint, I mean, we said the same things about if Jackson Dart picked Oklahoma. It was going to be an uphill quarterback competition for him because – Guess what? Dylan Gabriel's a really good quarterback in his own right, and he's already played one season with Jeff Levy as right. his offensive coordinator. So, no, I, I don't see that being realistic. I mean, I know I know that every freshman's not Caleb Williams, but I just think sometimes, I mean, sometimes surprises, you know. you, you and He is coming in in the spring, right? Am I no, correct he's on here. that? He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's on campus. Okay, I, I like I said, I don't I don't expect it, but I think sometimes you know, I mean, if he doesn't perform, you know, and there's no reason to think you know, Dylan Gabriel's not going to or, or you know get not not going to perform. But I mean, I'm just saying, you, you never know, man. I mean, I just I with this coaching staff, I, I think they're going to play the best players. It seems like that's one thing that you look back on Venable's defense is he he's not shy about playing the best players. I mean, you know, we'll see. Appreciate you. True. Have a great day. Listen, there's not probably going to be a quarterback competition. Right? I mean, Josh, is is that a a fair statement for this team? Yes. Yes. What I'm intrigued about is how that's going to be approached by the coaching staff. Are they basically going to tell us going into the spring, yeah, Dylan Gabriel's your starter? Or are we going to be – Sold the idea that hey, you know it's yeah, it's still open. Nobody's won the job. I'm sure we'll get that. Um, I'm sure we'll get that. I hope not. I would would love a positive change here. <laughs> um, With all love and respect to Nick Evers, I just just tell us what we know. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, uh, Aaron is next up at 405-329-9000. What's going on, Aaron? Hey, guys. Man, I, I am really glad that this, this Caleb thing is over. Uh, but, you know, let's, let, let's step back and look at what he really did. What did we really lose in Caleb Williams? Everybody anointed him as Superman and all this sort of stuff. But what did he really do? They don't win the game at Texas without Kennedy Brooks, without Caleb Kelly making that outstanding uh, special teams play, without Marvin Menz making those acrobatic catches. Caleb was good, but he's not Superman. I mean, what did he do? He threw for 80 yards against Iowa State, 80. Every other quarterback that Iowa State played that year had better, more yards than Caleb Williams. What did he do against Kansas in the first half? Nothing. What did he do against Baylor? Nothing. What did he do against Oklahoma State outside of that long run in the second half? Nothing. He was 6-2 and two as a starter. He is a good quarterback, but he's not Superman. Superman took flight in, in the cotton or down in Dallas against Texas a few years ago in the end zone when Teddy Lehman caught, uh, intercepted that ball for a touchdown. That was Superman. Caleb Williams is going to have a worse record at USC this year than Dylan Gabriel is at OU. And, and, you know, so let's quit anointing Caleb Williams as the greatest quarterback to ever play because he really, when you examine what he did and take away his name, he's an average quarterback this year. He went six and two, 10 quarterbacks threw for more yards against uh, Baylor than Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams threw for 180 yards or something like that against Baylor the week after Chandler Moore threw for 400. So really, what did Caleb do? What are we losing? We are better off now as a team because we got we got players that want to be here. We got coaches that want to be here, and we are going to have a much better record than USC next year by far. And and Caleb Williams will not even sniff New York next year. And uh, so that's that's what we lost. Let's move on and think about outside of Kyler Murray, what has a five-star quarterback ever done at Oklahoma? Nothing. Nothing. All the great quarterbacks at Oklahoma were walk-ons like, like Baker. They were junior college transfers like Josh. Or they were three- and four-star quarterbacks that have won Heisman trophies here. Five-star quarterbacks outside of Kyler have done nothing at OU. So I'm glad to move on. We got a guy. We got dime time coming in. He's going he's gonna to be dropping some dimes. He's going to take OU to at least 11 victories next year and possibly uh, a college football playoff, and that's where we're going to be at next year, minus Lincoln Wright in his circus and minus Caleb Williams and his circus because that was this has been a complete circus. He knew for a month he was going to USC, but he drug it out to bring recognition to himself. And uh, that's that's the type of guy that we lost in Caleb Williams. So, good riddance. Let's move on. No more Caleb Williams talk. OU is going to be much better team than they next year than they were this year. Appreciate the phone call. I take him back in a heartbeat. What did he do in I'll his time at Oklahoma? I mean, listen, I understand that's a natural reaction that you're going to have right now. Caleb Williams was not just a dude that as a true freshman ended up knocking out a dude as the starter that was projected as a Heisman favorite and was undefeated. But listen, he I, I, I know I get it. I understand that's going to be a natural reaction. But come on, dude. We, we don't, don't live in that world. Hey, I know Texas Tech's defense stunk. <laughs> 
but Caleb Williams did become just the third quarterback in Oklahoma history to throw for over 400 yards and six or more passing touchdowns in a game, along with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray against Texas Tech. He he was magical in the Cotton Bowl versus Texas. Sure, did did uh, Marvin Mims make an incredible play plank? Yeah, yeah, he did. But Caleb Williams was the signal caller that got that team to believe they could come back and win that game. So d- did he did – he, not perform as great against better defenses late in the season? Sure, but he's a true freshman. I'm not going to live in this world where magically now Caleb Williams isn't a five-star quarterback. <laughs> By the way, I, I did have to laugh uh, on the super secret Textoso line. Did Aaron just call to bash Caleb Williams the entire length of the call to only say, let's not talk about Caleb Williams? <laughs> uh, yes. My buddies, these people are in denial by the way, I think I'm going to order a cameo from you, bro. And uh, this is this is fantastic. Some of these off-the-air off tweets that Aaron has elicited. Oh, my God, this guy on right now is an idiot. At least you use an instead of a idiot. I, d- Caleb Williams, as much as we can question. I, I had someone after the Texas game, and I'm not even kidding you. I'm not making this up. I had a, someone after the Texas game go, I still don't think he's the guy. <laughs> what? You know, it's just sometimes there's always going to be that part of society. But that was also a time when no one thought that Lincoln Riley was ever leaving. Y'all sure seemed to lose your mind when he was announced as the starter. Who was it? Was that against TCU? That didn't seem to change too much. He's going to do well at USC. And he's going to get drafted highly in the NFL and he's when, probably, when it, yeah. he's when it comes around to that day. When so. you start, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a dummy who's already looking ahead to mock drafts next year. And, you know, C.J. Stroud's gone. The, why, why am I Bryce Young, Spencer? There's others. Caleb Williams is still going to be one of the top prospects in the 2024 draft. Just accept it. All right, quick break. I want to get back to the phones when we come back at 329-9000. That's 405-329-9000. It's the Plank Show with Josh Helmer live on the Ref Sports Radio Network. So, this is interesting. Uh, we were talking about that Deion Sanders is trying to pull a coup on signing day. Well, uh, he's offered sooner, I don't want to say commit yet, but a guy that, as far as future casts are concerned, Oklahoma is is considered in the mix, and that's – is it Dylan or Dylan Edwards? He's in the class of 23, and uh, he just picked up an offer from Jackson State. So come on, primetime. Stay away from our stop it. Cruise. All right. Hey, listen, let's give the phones. Quinn. Quinn, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. What's up, Plank? How are you doing today, buddy? I'm outstanding. I'm at home doing the show today. I've got a fly tonight. So I'm paranoid as hell, but life is good. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I just you know, I wanted to call in and uh with all this all this news of, of Caleb leaving, you know, I'm kind of bummed out about it. You know, me and Jake went down to uh, OU Texas this year, and um, he gave us something that, you know, we could never uh, we could never repay him for, for what he gave us uh, in that game. But, you know, I want to wish him the best. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry that he just got some cold feet on OU. Uh, but, you know, he, uh, he won't have any trouble getting his footing out in USC – um, he's kind of ahead of the curve, you know, because he's got uh, a foot in the door with Lincoln there. But he needs to be somewhere stable, so 
he doesn't look like he has two left feet in the pocket, you know, always on tap shoes. Um, and, uh, you know, out there, um, you know, as a quarterback at USC, um, you know, you're working on being a podiatrist. Uh, shouldn't be hard. I'm noticing a theme here, Quinn. Uh, just, it won't be hard for him to sweep somebody off their feet, find his soulmate, have a nice, uh, relaxing evening with her, uh, maybe sitting around watching Happy Feet, eating Cheetos. Uh, I'm just happy for him in victory and defeat. Thank you, Quinn. <laughs> have a nice morning. I love you. So, I guess... I guess, I guess there's some Rex Ryan to Caleb Williams, is what we learned on Twitter last night. Or was that Instagram? I, yeah, I think it was Instagram where we found out about uh, Caleb Williams' foot fetish. Yeah, there you go. I, I mean, listen, I don't know how in deep in depth you wanted to go. We all have our things. I've never really understood the foot thing. Feet are gross. I mean, they're disgusting. There will be no kink shaming this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely you know you put your feet in the sand and just kind of start marching forward. Well done, Quinn. My day is made, even though I can't talk yet this morning. All right. Um, we owe you the top five stories of the day. I will say, uh, Quinn, he had – what's that meme? He had me in the beginning. I ain't going to lie. Uh, but then <laughs> he did, he did me too. I picked up uh, fairly fairly quickly. You're a little bit quicker. Than that. He had me in the beginning. I thought this was going to be a nostalgic piece to Caleb Williams. All right, quick break. Top five stories of the day next.